As we gaze into the Gospel of John today, I want to specifically talk to those of you out there this morning that rarely ever attend church. And you may be here this morning because your wife said, it's Easter, you need to be here. You may be here because out of tradition of growing up and Easter Sunday is the time that you need to be in church and so you do it out of that tradition. You may be here because your journey has brought you to a crossroads in which you don't know what to do. You don't know what you're facing. You are trying to perceive and understand you've got decisions to make and it seems like you're in a barren land and there seems to be no sense of direction or purpose. You may be here this morning and one of the reasons that you don't attend church on a regular basis is because the church has failed to live up to its Christian standard. How many of us in this room this morning know of Christians who have ultimately failed? How many of us would be willing to say this morning, I have ultimately failed? How many of us be willing to say this morning, on my best day, I'm a hypocrite? I want you to keep those hands open. Keep those hands raised. I want you to look around this room. And I want you to know at First Baptist Church, you can put your hands down, at First Baptist Church, God is assembling a people that are coming to the great understanding and the essential truth that we put our pants on like everybody else. That here at First Baptist Church, no matter whether we've been here for eight decades, or maybe this is our first Sunday, that we are a real people with real problems. Thank God we have a real Savior who is the object and affection of our worship. And so if you don't take away anything else today, I want you to know this essential truth that at First Baptist Church, you have a place that you can, you can call home. We're not pretentious, despite the fact that it's a First Baptist Church in the county seat. I am not the typical preacher of a First Baptist Church. And listen, out of the last two and a half years, people have been saying that over, see, he's smiling, over and over again. We don't want to be a typical church. We don't want to follow a typical God and a typical Savior. We want to pursue and be pursued by the risen Christ, who's more than willing to deal with our mess our circumstances, our chaos, our sin, our addictions, our problems, and anything else we want to lay at His feet. We serve a real God. Our people are real people that are hurting. Our people are real people who are involved in all kinds of addictions. And listen, it may not be what they display on Facebook, but we're real people. And when we come together for worship, We are not attempting to pretend. We're not attempting to act like our stuff doesn't stink. It stinks like everybody else's. So I want you to look to your left this morning and say, I'm sorry for being a Christian buffoon. 
Okay? Look to your left and say, I'm sorry for being a Christian buffoon. I want you to look to your right and I want you to say, I'm sorry for being a Christian buffoon. In the Gospels, we encounter a God who gets messy. We encounter a God that goes beyond the superficial nature of what we pretend to be and gets at the heart of who we are. Is anybody hot in here? Yeah, I'll tell you what. all I'm going to take off today. It's okay. If you need to take off your tie, you can take off your tie. If you need to take off your shirt, as long as you've got something underneath, that's great. We're not going to go to the pants this morning. You get what I'm saying? We're real people. We have real struggles and real problems, but here we meet a real Jesus. So for those of you who are not accustomed to the typical First Baptist Church, we welcome you. We welcome you with open arms. We don't expect you to have your life all together, put together. We expect you just to be real. Come be messy with us. Because even the greatest saint of this place and of our people struggles on a daily basis with sin and problems and situations. We are real people who serve a real God. Now, when we go to the Gospel of John, Jesus has been put to death. Jesus has been laid to rest in the tomb, sealed as if it is signed and delivered and no more. And then some women come and they find that stone rolled away. And as I said last week, that that stone was not rolled away to let Jesus out. It was rolled away to allow us to come in to receive all the blessings and bounty that God can give. And so we have this whole series that happens after the resurrection of Christ and Jesus is finalizing his moments with the disciples. And so he has this conversation with Peter. Now let me remind you who Peter is. Peter often says things before he thinks. How many of you know people like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and some of you are sitting there this morning and say, yeah, I know this person, I know that person. And you know what? The, the, real, the real thing this morning is this, that if you're thinking about everybody else, you probably need to look in the mirror because you're that person, okay? You're that person. You're that type of person that will notice, you know, I often will say things that are ahead of this. Peter was... A devouted disciple, probably one of Jesus' closest counterparts, followers. But yet, we know that that Peter denied Jesus at least three times. Denied not only being a disciple, denied knowing him at all. So, therefore, it's possible to be a follower of Jesus, to be in his inner circle like a disciple, and completely deny ever knowing him. And here's the thing, we do this all the time by the decisions that we make, the things that we say, the tweets that we post, the updates and status that we place in Facebook 
and it goes on and on and on. And so Jesus encounters Peter after Peter's denial, and he says to Peter, after they had finished eating, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, we don't know necessarily what these are. Could be what uh, previously was mentioned in the passage. Could be the fish. Bring some of the fish that they had caught. Could be that. But the question is, do you love me more than these? Whatever it is, do you love me more than whatever that is? And Peter gives a quick pipe back. Lord, yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And then Jesus says... Feed my lambs. And then Jesus says again to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter says again, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus says, then take care of my sheep. And then for a third time, Jesus says to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? You see, that got Peter's attention. So Peter, who was hurt... Because Jesus, and this is kind of, I'm adding words here, but Jesus had the audacity to ask him the third time, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. And then we go in this long explanation of how it is going to be that Peter is going to die and glorify God. And Jesus sums it up by saying, follow me. The question I want to ask of us this morning that we can see illustrated in verses 15 through 17 of John chapter 21 is are we living a life in pursuit of Jesus? Jesus wants to make us his disciple and he wants us to understand our role. And if we look at what Jesus says to Peter, he says, feed my sheep, take care of my sheep, feed my lambs, or tend to my sheep, feed my lambs. So the, the ultimate thing that we get from that, I think, is that God, Jesus is saying to Peter, I want you to take care of the needs of people. And those needs that we encounter in people are not just physical needs, they're spiritual needs. Because, you know, when we look at, at, at worship and when we look at Christianity today, you listen, there's all kinds of things that meet physical needs. Habitat for Humanity meets a need of shelter. There are soup kitchens that meet the needs of food. The church is supposed to be Christ's representation on the face of this planet that meets people's needs. If we are only interested in meeting people's spiritual needs, we aren't understanding the gospel. Because the gospel of Christ is all the chips are in. We make sure we meet people's physical needs. We make sure we meet, meet people's spiritual needs. If you look in our country and you see the problems when it comes to the welfare system, here's the thing. The Lord never expected the government to provide welfare for people. God has always expected welfare to come 
from the church. Why? Because when the church serves the people and is a demonstration of Christ's love into the world, it radically transforms people's lives. There's a problem in our country today, and that problem is that the church has lost its ability to be relevant because we've allowed the government to take over what Christ has initially given as our mandate. You and I are responsible not only for the people that darken the door of the local church, you and I are responsible of the needs of this community. We need not only care about whether people know Jesus, and ultimately, yes, that is our goal, that they become followers and pursuers of Him. But listen, we cannot expect people to come to Christ and we, we meet that need, but we're unwilling to help them get on their feet financially, stable, in order to minister to their families and minister to the whole person. The idea that we have to, to preach the gospel and then on the side have some kind of benevolence that we do is completely out of tune with Scripture's reality. God's understanding is that when we share the gospel with people, that gospel meets them all the way, frontwards, backwards, left or right, meets their needs. Why? Because the people of God come together, they pull together their resources and they impact community. I want everybody in the room to stand up where you are this morning, right where you are. Now I want you to sit back down. I want you to stand back up. I want you to sit back down and stand up one last time. We've got to do three, one for the Father, one for the Son, and one for the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. Now, in the last 18 seconds, by pulling together our resources and initiatives, we have proceeded to dust off at least 90% of the seats in this room. We work together for a common goal and a common mission, and we succeed. Why? Because we follow the Lordship of Christ. Can you imagine what we would do if the 450 people who are assembled in this room today impacted community the same way? We all had the same initiative, the same stance, the same vision, the same opportunity, and we rose to the occasion to meet the need. We would be amazed at what happens. And see, here's the thing. Here at First Baptist Church, we are not about making this church great. This church is great because it pursues the Lordship of Christ. We're not here at First Baptist Church trying to steal you from another place of worship, trying to steal you from another denomination, trying to steal you from where you go to church. We are about engaging people, engaging lostness, meeting people's needs, both physical and spiritual. And we want, we desire, we hope, we pray, and we will do everything in God's power to see you to excel in His will. Whether that's at First Baptist, whether that's at First United Methodist, whether that's at Emmanuel, whether that's at Calvary, whether that's at Oak Street, whether that's at the Episcopalian Church, whether that's St. Mary's Catholic Church, listen, it does not matter what flavor of Christianity that you embrace. What matters is that you embrace the Jesus Christ of the cross and the Christ who's been resurrected for you. That's what matters. That's what wins. When you and I take the initiative 
our God-given abilities. We understand who Christ is. He's moved into our neighborhood. He's made an indelible impression on our lives. The reason that we're here this morning is solely because He loves you. The reason that you were able to get up this morning is because He has blessed you. The reason that you were able to drive here this morning and be dropped off this morning is because His grace is sufficient even when we are weak. Even when we are weak, are we living a life in pursuit of Jesus? I want you to notice verse 19 of the passage. Jesus says to Peter, he said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. You and I this morning as we sit in this room, we are faced with a decision. When someone asks me, as I've said before in this community, how many decisions did you have on Sunday? There were 450. However many people attended this worship service is how many decisions that we had today. Because you make a conscious decision each and every moment of your lives, each and every day that God gives you, whether you're going to pursue Him, follow Him, or whether you're going to continue to do what we've always done. God is not a God of doing what we've always done. God is always challenging us. God is always equipping us to become far more than we've ever been. I'm reminded when I was a student, when Experiencing God came out in the early 90s, the youth edition of that curriculum, uh, we were in a small group, and I'll never forget, but one of the guys in my small group uh, says to us on a Wednesday night in our small group, he says, you know what, I'm satisfied where I am in following Jesus, and I don't think I want to go any farther. I can appreciate the honesty But you and I can never be satisfied where we are. First Baptist Church, listen, our ministries, our programs, listen, everything that we do, everything that we embody, we will never have an occasion where we can say it's the best it can be. We could have never done better. Why? Because we are a broken people. We are sinners. Listen, the only way that you and I succeed, the only way that we are able to give credence to the most holy God is because He has moved into our lives. It is He that deserves our glory. It is He who is the object and affection of our worship. And if you're here this morning and you're missing that understanding, understand Peter, one of his closest followers, denied Him. Peter, one of his closest followers, and none, listen, none of the other disciples were there when Jesus was in his pivotal moment of crucifixion. They were nowhere to be found. Why? They were fearful of what following Jesus might mean when Jesus was hanging on a cross. They had witnessed the flogging from a distance. They had witnessed the brutality that Christ endured. They wanted Jesus, but they did not want the persecution. A lot of us want Jesus for all the good things that he brings. But when he demands us, when he calls us to service, when he calls us to suffering, we suddenly lose faith. We suddenly lose hope. This becomes more than what we bargained for. We want Jesus as Savior, but we're afraid of what it might be if we pursue Him as Lord. Either Christ is Lord over all, or He's not Lord at all. If He is not the center, the very essence of who we are, we are completely, just like Peter, clueless. 
Jesus asked him, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, you know I love you, Lord. Feed my sheep. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Of course you know I do. Lord, tend my lambs. Simon, son of John, do you love me? And the Bible goes into great description of how aggravated Peter gets. How indignant Peter gets. Listen, it's so easy to be consumed and fixated on our lives and our dreams. It's so easy, listen, to start paying attention to other people rather than paying attention to our lives. Sometimes our selflessness is really a pseudo-selflessness. We're focused on others by what we see in them. And listen what happens in this passage. Peter has this conversation with Jesus, and then he happens to see John. John, the writer of this gospel, he sees John following them, referring to Peter and Jesus. And Peter doesn't like the conversation that Jesus has had with him. Listen, when you and I have an encounter with the risen Christ, we're not always going to like what he has to say. If you're one of these people, now I know, I know that a good old Southern Baptist, when they have his or her quiet time, every time we have that quiet time, we leave that quiet closet, that quiet time, experiencing God and just being high on, on glory. And we, we like to use these, what I call religious ease words that are like worth 25 cents. The longer the syllable, the better we feel. And so we, we kind of develop this habit of spirituality. We talk the talk and, oh, I had a wonderful opportunity this morning in my quiet time. The Lord's been showing me this and this and this. I'm just so excited because I've been encouraged and I just want to be able to follow him as faithful as disciples you know I love our church I love following Jesus I just it, it just sounds like leftover dung and I'm dead serious about that a lot of us have a spirituality that is high hopes but not reality we can talk the talk we can flip the prayer off it sounds good but when you look when we really are in ourselves and we look at ourselves we're disappointed. Listen, Peter was disappointed in his failure to understand Christ. He was disappointed because he denied him. But you see, it's too much for Peter like it's too much for us. And what does Peter do? What about him? What about him? Pointing to John. How many times do we, when we're caught, when we're caught in a decision or a bad decision or an action, and I think back when I was a child, I have a younger brother that's six and a half years younger than me. And I can remember getting in trouble. And one of the first things out of my mouth, well, what, what about Jonathan? I mean, why, why, why are you focused on me? What about him? He does this all the time. And we're very quick to throw anybody else under the bus as long as the spotlight gets off of us. Because listen, we're more than willing to gloat in other people's sinfulness. We are very unwilling to accept the responsibility and accountability for ours. And that's a problem. You see, if we're going to promote the fact that we're First Baptist Church and we're real people in need of a real Savior, then that means that we can't always be talking about everybody else. We need to look at ourselves, at our own decisions, at our own motives, at our own failures. And the solution to our failure is the sovereign grace of Jesus Christ that we celebrate on Resurrection Sunday and every day of the year. Listen, there is nothing vitally important about this day. 
This day should be every day for the follower of Christ because every day is a day to celebrate the fact that death is vanquished and Jesus Christ is Lord over all. That's what we need to celebrate. Peter starts this pivotal question that every one of us on this planet faces. What about him? What about her? We like to take the attention off of ourselves when that spotlight reveals our brokenness. We like to take the focus off of us when that spotlight shows just how mired up we are. What about him? We look to others as a way of comparing and we think to ourselves, I'm not that bad, look at so-and-so. Oh, I'm not that, my family's not that bad, look at that family. Oh, I, at least I don't have that sin in my pedigree. At least I'm not struggling with that. Good gracious, did you hear about Ethel? Let me tell you about Ethel. Ethel's different. I know we don't do that in Elizabethan. And so we're very quick to notice everybody else's problems. We are so other focused and we gloat in it. We like to say, well, I'm not focused on myself. I'm focused on everybody else. We'll just praise the Lord. Bless your little heart. Well, you're focused on other people as long as you can take them down rather than lifting them up. You see, here's the thing. Let me give you a newsflash about gossip. Gossip is not merely sharing falsehood about somebody else. Gossip can be sharing the truth about somebody else, and it goes to our motives. Is, listen, if our purpose in sharing anything with anyone is not to encourage, lift them up, or feed his lambs, or tend his sheep, or encourage somebody, we need to ever shut our mouths. Gossip can be true. Don't think because it's truth it's not gossip. It's still from the pit of hell. You and I have an obligation. When we know someone is spiritually in need, when we know there's someone physically in need, we need to feed those sheep, we need to tend those lambs, we need to feed those lambs. We're so other-focused, but all for the wrong reasons. And here's the reality. Here's a, here's a sign that we're other-focused. How many of you participate in Facebook? Yeah, a lot of you. Some of you are lying because you're not raising your hand. How many of you do Snapchat? Yeah, I know that's a younger generation thing. Be careful with that. Do you know that that app was created so that people could cheat on their spouses? Didn't know if you knew that. You won't find Snapchat on my phone. I've got enough problems without having to worry about something like that. But here's the reality for us, ladies and gentlemen. A lot of us, and listen, I, listen can I tell you how much heartache has been caused by social media in my ministry over the last 10 years. You see, at first it was MySpace. And all students and you know, even adults started MySpace. And they could portray this new image that was radically different than themselves. And a lot of times we found out a lot more about people than we ever wanted to know. And then it became Facebook. And then it was Twitter, sort of. And now Snapchat and Pinterest and a lot of other things that we do. Can I tell you how many times people have darkened the door? because of something that's been posted on one of those social media sites and they're hurt by it. And here's, here's the reality, ladies and gentlemen. You ready? Here's the nugget for the day. There's a problem with all of us 
when we care more about what someone thinks about us on Facebook than we care about what God says in his book. Now I want you to hear that. And listen, I, I, and, and I'm, I'm, listen, I am guilty of this. Somebody posts something, you know, sometimes I'll make controversial posts, imagine that, and then somebody will take me to task. And, you know, every once in a while I'll write something in the paper and then somebody will take me to task on that. Listen, if you're going to participate in social media, not everybody's going to like what you have to say, okay? You cannot wear your feelings on your shoulders, whether you're a follower of Christ or whether you're not. But here's the, here's the crux of it. When you are more focused and more worried about what someone else thinks about you on Facebook, then you're worried about what God who's designed you and purposed you, who has created you in the innermost of your being, and He wants you to excel and He wants you to have a joyful life. He wants you to thrive like you could never thrive before. When we care more about what Tom, Dick, or Harry, or Susie thinks than we care about what the Lord Jesus Christ thinks, we have completely missed the boat. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? That's what Christ is saying today. See, Peter couldn't get it. Do you love me? And he gives, oh, well, of course I do. Of course we do. We use the word love so flippantly these days. We'll say, oh, I love that movie. We'll say, I love you, honey. Oh, I love that dress. Oh, I love those shoes. Oh, I love that iPad Pro. Oh, I love that iWatch. Oh, I love, I love this. I love that house. I love that church. I love that spaghetti. I love that lasagna. I love that filet mignon. <laughs> it's a spiritual moment. I love that chocolate ganache. Ooh. Love, 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 love. And then we use the same word to convey what we feel about Jesus. Somehow it misses the mark. The litmus test of our love for Christ is found in our commitment to spiritually and physically feed His people. If you're here this morning, as we close today, if you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Christ, we would be amiss to not introduce you to a God who loves you I want you to know at First Baptist, as I, as I began this morning in this sermon, that we are not a perfect people. We are a broken people. We are a struggling people. But you see, we have the right perspective. We know who Christ is. We know what He's done for us. And we know what He's asking us to do. Follow me. That's what He says. So I want to ask you in closing this morning, how is your life today? How's it working for you? If you're living your life, listen, if you're living your life like there is no God, you best be right. Because if you're wrong, <laughs> you are going to miss out on the greatest opportunity that's lower than the heavens. And that is a life that's in Him. How is your life today? How is your journey today? Jesus says, come. Follow me. He doesn't say it's going to be easy. He doesn't say that it's going to be always warm and fuzzy. Because listen, the disciples, when they pursued him and they followed him, it cost them their very lives. I'm reminded of the student, a friend of mine in high school that I've told you the story about before that committed suicide in February of 1995. Two weeks before he took his life, he said to me these things. He said, Todd, I, I would love to follow Jesus. 
But I've looked and I see so many Christians that are so many so-called Christians that profess him as Lord. But when I look at their lives and I see them where I go at the parties that I attend and the situations that I'm in, I know that it's not real. And he said to me this, before I commit my life to Christ, I want to make sure that when I stand for him, that I mean what I say. And I said, you don't have to fix your life up to accept Christ. Now, where is he spending eternity? I don't know. But over the last 22 years, since that moment, 21 years, I'm constantly reminded that there are people that are looking at us. There are people that are warning, they're hurting, they're dying on the inside, and they're looking at us to see if we care enough to feed them. They're looking at us and asking, gosh, they're a church attender. They talk about God's love and God's grace, but I wonder why they've never shared it with me. If it's the greatest thing that's ever happened to them, why have they never shared it with me? Is this a hoax? Why do we not share? Because we're afraid. We're afraid. I think in many ways that if we share, people will see how much of a royal failure we are. Don't buy into that lie and know this essential truth. Just because you fail doesn't mean that you're a failure. When you fail, listen to me, when you and I fail, we are more than conquerors. Just because we fail doesn't mean that we're a failure. We become a failure when we continue to live a life that is an absolute denial of the implications of the cross and the resurrection that we celebrate on this day. I want us to think this morning as we close. Who is in our family? Who is in our network of friends? And I'm not talking about network of friends on Facebook. Nobody has 1,700 friends. I'm so sorry to, to pop that, that illusion. No one has 1,700 friends, okay? Who in our family, who in our immediate circle of friends, who in our neighborhood down the street across the way, who is it that we immediately think of? They need Jesus just as much as I need him. Wow. When we begin thinking of those terms, that's everybody. Everybody needs Jesus as much as we do. We're no better than anybody else. We're no worse a sinner than anybody else. All of us have fallen short of the mark and the standard that Christ has given. And so we need to acknowledge that. That's why I say we need to apologize for being Christian buffoons, pretending like we got our stuff all together when we really don't. As you leave today from this place and as you visited with us, we want you to come back. We want you to be a part of what God is doing here at First Baptist Church. We want you to plug in. But ultimately today, we just want you to rest in His presence as He says to you, come, follow me. You don't have to fix yourself up. You don't have to have a pretty tie, pretty suit, none of that. None of that, that's irrelevant. Well, why do I wear a suit every Sunday morning? 
Because I, listen, there are people, whether I like it or not, there are people that think that if I don't wear a suit, that, you know, that just kind of diminishes the capacity. Let me tell you what, let me tell you what diminishes the capacity to receive Christ. Our sinfulness. It's not about what you wear. It's not about whether you have tattoos or whether you don't. It's not about whether you have an earring here or earring there or some kind of nose ring here or any other piercing anywhere else in your body. That is completely irrelevant. What's relevant is, do you know Jesus? That's it. See, we look on the outside. We look on the outside. And we get impressed by the exterior. But you see, God looks at the inside. And let me tell you something. There are a lot of people in this place today there are a lot of people in our community today. On the outside, they look so rough. They look so beaten down. They're not people that we would necessarily typically socialize with. But you see, in the midst of the center of their being, they have a heart that's just like ours. It's in need of Jesus. It's in need of renewal. It's in need of a Savior. It's in need of a purpose. We are in need in this very room. In a moment after the prayer, I'm going to issue an invitation. And the invitation is simply this. If you're here this morning and you don't know what to say, you don't know what to do, it's okay. We don't know what to say and we don't know what to do either. We've messed up royally on so many fronts. But as we sing in Christ alone, I'm just going to simply ask this simple thing. If you want to receive Christ today, if you want to receive prayer, if you want someone to pray for you, listen, you don't have to confess to me. You don't have to tell me any of your dark secrets. It doesn't matter because guess what? I'm not the one that forgives you. I don't have to know your innermost secret. All God wants you to do is say, I want to be honest. And I'm going to confess to him. I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to let go of these things that have so defined me and so hurt me and so bruised me. Today, maybe you're calloused and you're cynical and you're hurt. But the Holy Spirit has moved. And this is what he's saying, come. In this invitation, I want you to come. You don't have to say anything to me. If you come to this altar, I'm just going to pray for you. If you need to pray right here on this step, you can kneel and you can pray. If you need to be seated in your space and in your place, that's fine. If there's others of you who want to be a part of what God is doing at First Baptist Church, we want to give you that opportunity. If there's others of you that want to recommit, reconnect, renew, surrender your lives to Him, maybe you've misunderstood the gospel and you've understood the church is only focused on what is spiritual. Listen, the church must be focused on every aspect of the human condition, both physical and spiritual, because listen, God saves the whole entirety of a person. And His hope and His will and His plan is that you can be better, that we can be better than we are today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the power of your resurrection. We thank you for Jesus, how his grace is sufficient, how he leads and guides us and protects us, and how he calls us to salvation, how he calls us and he speaks to our innermost need. When we have failed, we are more than conquerors and we are victorious because we are looking and following and pursuing Jesus Christ. 
God, we're not a perfect people. We mess up every day. We say things we shouldn't. We do things that we shouldn't. But Lord, in this invitation, we want to come and we want to say, God, I need you. God, I want you. Some of you will say today, God, I, I've reached a point in my life, I, I don't know where I am, but I can, I can tell you that I don't feel good about where I am in this moment. And God just says, come. As we sing, as we stand, as we worship, may the most important aspect of our worship be the decision that we make today to follow Jesus, to feed his sheep, to tend his lambs, to feed his lambs. As we respond, may we be faithful and obedient to how he's moving, how he's speaking, and how he is pursuing us every step of the way. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand as we sing in Christ alone again. This is decision time. Won't you come? Won't you receive Christ? Won't you be renewed through Him and by Him with every need, with every desire, with every longing of the heart? Meet Him in this place. This is a place where God does business. It's messy at the altar. But He loves you. He's purposed you. And you're here. Don't miss this opportunity as we sing.